Well, I am so glad to be here. I love this place. I love Heartland Baptist Bible College, love Southwest. One of my joys was being able to lead a group of uh, the members of this church to the Holy Land this past year. We had such a great time. Got in just in the nick of time, I might add, and uh, thank God for that. What a sweet spirit uh, these people have. Went through some difficulties. The, the trip was canceled on and off a few times because of uh, COVID and things like that. And I just want to thank this church publicly for your spirit through all of that and what a blessing you were to me. And, uh, and I sure love this place and love you. I looked out just a moment ago. I just thought about some of the best men I've ever known in my life were in this room. I hope we don't ever take that for granted because there are going to be times from time to time, there are going to be some empty seats. And as we move down through this journey, people that we have the joy of seeing now and embracing and fellowshipping with, they're, they're going to slip off the scene. And so I, I think we ought to soak it in. You know, I, I, think we ought to, I think we ought to just soak all of this in that we're able to be a part of and never take it for granted. And always thank God for it. And always go back home and, and uh, carry the memories with us and the work that God has done in our hearts. Boy, some wonderful messages we've heard already and you're so thankful. I, I, see a, I see a theme that God is doing here. Brother Sam brought such a message last night and, and uh, I, I, there's connection in all of it and God, God always does that. He ties things together. And so I want you to open your Bibles tonight, if you will. And I want you to go first of all to the uh, the book of Psalms, and I, I want to go to the 142nd Psalm, if we could. Psalm 142. Pastor Gaddis, thank you for uh, the joy of being here and standing in this pulpit. And Susie and I sure love you and Angie and we're, Miss Angie, and we're thankful. And one of the special times about our time in the Holy Land was the time we were able to spend with you. Now, this isn't going to be my text but I want to lift a sentiment from this and I want to carry it with me to a, with us tonight to a New Testament parallel. So David is here and um, he's in a cave and he's crying out to God. And so he begins in verse one, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path, and in the way wherein I walked have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. I want to I take the thought and the sentiment of verse number four, and I want to I take it with us. And it's obvious here that this is David writing this. And the thing that I would say about this is that David is obviously overwhelmed. The, the theme of this, of this psalm we see throughout the book of Psalms, don't we? There's trouble, there's problems. David's frustrated. 
Um, there's a loneliness in this verse. You can be crowded with people and still feel loneliness. And so I, I don't know who all's here. All I know is that in verse number four, he said, I looked on my right hand. And the right hand would be where your most trusted friend or your most faithful servant would be located. And he said, I looked on my right hand and, and nobody was there. There was no man that would know me. And then he says this, refuge failed me. What is he saying? Humanly speaking, I have no place to turn. And there comes a time when that's the case in our life. But, but here's the wonderful thing about David. In the very next verse, he said, I, I, I cried unto thee, O Lord, and I said, thou art my refuge. Yes. So even though David felt alone and though David felt abandoned and though David felt forsaken by people that he perhaps should have been able to look to and could not, David knew where to turn. But a lost man does not. A lost man does not. The night that I surrendered my life to preach, March 21st, 1973, was a Carl Hatch revival meeting in my home church of Bible Baptist in Savannah. And he drew for his text that verse, verse number four, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. And as a 17 year old boy, God burned that verse into my heart. And I asked God to help me to that to be never to be said of me, not caring for someone that desperately needed somebody. Now go with me, if you will, to the book of John, if you will, please. And verse number one, John chapter five. John chapter five and verse number one. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind and halt and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, God, we pray today that you would do what only you can do. We come today, Lord, as needy people. We thank you for what our hearts have felt and what our ears have heard, Lord, the moving of your spirit deep within us. We're grateful. And now tonight in this service, I pray that you would do through your word what you would do in each life. Lord, you're the only one that can take it to each heart and apply it as it's needed. So do that, Lord, we pray, we ask you, and we'll give you thanks in the name of Jesus, our Savior. We pray these things, amen. You may be seated. 
Fanny Crosby wrote these words, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a savior has died. Edward Ufford penned these words. Soon will the season of rescue be o'er. Soon will they drift to eternity's shore. Haste then, my brother, no time to delay, but throw out the lifeline and save them today. Amen. I think that the sentiment of, of uh, Psalm 142, if we could imagine a lost man in that same predicament, and not knowing where his refuge was at, and in fact, not even having a refuge. And, and feeling that abandonment and, and that loneliness that David expressed, and yet immediately it seems as though it, it happened so many times in Psalms, it's almost like David, he, 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 with the Spirit of God, he just works his way right out of it. I mean, he's in the doldrums and he's hurting and he's down. But if you keep reading the psalm, just hang in there. All of a sudden, he, he comes right back to the Lord. And we understand that a lost man cannot do that. And then we come to John 5, and, and I think that we, we feel that same feeling, except here is a man, here is a man that is abandoned. Here is a man... That, that looks about him and there's no man there that cares for his soul. And, and he could say, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man uh, cared for my soul. And, and sir, I have no man. Sir, I have no man. Sir, I have no man. When the waters are troubled to put me into the pool. I want to notice one thing first off. I want you to see the condition of the sinner. Because we find him, we find him here uh, amongst a great number. He was not alone. Uh, there was a great multitude there. That's what the scripture says, a great multitude. And, and they were all in the same condition. They needed the same type miracle that he needed. I read these statistics. There's a staggering 7.8 billion people on this earth. If you could line up the unsaved in a single foul line, they would circle the globe more than 30 times. And the line grows 20 miles every day. If we could stop all births right where they are, and we could shut down all deaths right where it is, and we were to keep winning the lost at the rate that we are now, it would take another 400 years for us to win America to Christ and another 4,000 for us to win the world. I, I'm, just, I'm just simply saying that this man was not alone in his condition. Not alone whatsoever. Everybody around him, every place you turned in this place called Bethesda, there were hurting and broken people that were in need of somebody lifting them, somebody carrying them, <clears throat> somebody bringing them to the place where God was doing a supernatural thing. And so I see not only a great number, but I see a great need that was there. Now they all had something in common. They were all sick. Every one of them, they all suffered. They all were in need of healing. They were all blind and halt and withered. They all needed a miracle. They all hoped to be the first into the pool when the, when the waters were stirred. Every single one of them had the same need. And here's a man 
that for 38 long years of his life has suffered from a debilitating and a crippling disease. You know what his life was? It was a pathetic cycle of the same old, same old, same old, same old, day in, day out, day in, day out. Every morning he was crippled. Every evening he was crippled. When he went to bed, he was crippled. When he crawled out of his bed, he was crippled. For 38 years, he lived in that condition and nobody touched his life. Nobody picked him up. Nobody came to where he was and reached where he was. Not one single person lifted their finger for, for, for one iota to try to alleviate him and change his life. No help came. The world just kept spinning and life continued as usual all about him. And he was in his desperate need, but nobody cared. Nobody came. I think that we could probably surmise that there was also a great effort. I'm going to tell you something about those people that were there. They didn't get there on their own, most of them. I, 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 don't, I, I don't think it would be a stretch to you to think that when the, when, when the waters were stirred, when the angel came down and stirred the waters, I, I bet there was a lot of effort. I mean, I, 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 bet, I bet in that, in that world mentality, it's every man for himself. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And I believe that they're crawling and pushing and clawing and doing everything they can to try to get to a place to where their life can be different. And that's a lot like the world today. It's a lot like the world today. So much effort. Here's a guy that's crippled. How did he get there? I don't know. I don't know, maybe during the time of season as it was anticipated, maybe he hopped a ride, maybe he crawled, uh, maybe he leaned against walls, but somehow he got there. There was a great deal of effort to get where he was, but great effort wasn't good enough. He couldn't get to where he needed to be. And for 38 years, nobody cared enough about him to help him. I'll never forget knocking a door in the neighborhood as the church that I was preaching a revival in and we were out door knocking and I knocked on the door uh, just two blocks from the church and the person that was there said, I've lived in this house for 20 years and never had anybody knock my door. A stone's throw from the church. God have mercy on us that there are people that have been in their condition for 25, 20, 10, 5, I don't care, but they're, they're within the shadow of our church. And nobody reaches them and nobody cares. In your city, in your city, where you're going to plant a church, where you're going to do a work for God, where we minister today, in your city there's a businessman and he chases the mirage of happiness. One more rung up the ladder, one more promotion, one more transfer, and he'll be able to obtain that elusive dream. His marriage has been in survival mode for so many years now. He's an absentee father for his, to his children. He's, he's blind to his own covetousness and he's so blinded that he can't realize that his health is eroding and his marriage is, is void of passion. I mean, it's, his life is a sham and he doesn't even know it. And all he's got to show for it is a plaque on the wall and a trinket or two out in the garage given to him by a company that uses him like a cheap hammer over and over again. He's a slave to them and he's empty on the inside, respectable outwardly, but inwardly he's empty. They're all over the place. There's a drug addict somewhere in your city that has long ago lost his dignity. He has no self-respect. He's deeply hurt. 
those that love him most because he doesn't even know what love is. And he's become blinded to the very people that are trying to help him. And he's turned to the cheap crowd that keep draining him and keep using him and keep selling him. And he pawns his future for a not so cheap high because the high that he's buying is costing him absolutely everything. There, there's a 14 to 15 year old kid in your city. He doesn't know who his dad is. And years ago, his mom checked out on life and he wants to belong to somebody. He wants to be loved somewhere. He wants some place that will give him some kind of an identity. Somebody that he can call family. And there's a gang. There's a gang waiting on him. Read the story of Bonnie and Clyde going down together and you'll find a young man that walked the aisle in a Baptist church, but somehow got drifted when he went to the West Bogs of Dallas, read his Bible during the day. And when I read that, when I read that book, I wept over the fact of thinking if somebody just could have reached him. When his family slept under a flatbed trailer for, for two years, and I thought to, my, I, I thought to myself, think, think of all the lives Think of all the lives that would have been changed if there had been somebody there that might reach him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can criticize the young man as an undesirable and we certainly don't want him around our children and, and, and we're not even sure we want him in our youth department for fear that somehow they may catch what he has. But who is it that will pick him up and put him in the water when the angel stirs the water? She's got three or four different children by three or four different men. They were all do-nothings that came by, every last one of them, but they gave her some fleeting security before they moved on. It wasn't much of a chance, but she thought it was the only chance that she had. And the reality of the matter is she's not living anymore. She's just existing. She's just trying to get by. And she's selling herself so cheaply that she can't even look in the mirror any longer. She's losing everything for a cheap price. There's a desperate soul contemplating suicide. There's a young girl far too young to have a child. And yet the father, the father has tucked tail and ran. And her own parents now won't accept her. They've abandoned her. And somewhere out there in your community, there's a family that's on the verge of a breakup and they need somebody to knock on their door, somebody to reach them. Maybe a coworker on the job, maybe a neighbor, maybe somebody whose kids play soccer. They've got to have somebody that reaches into their life and makes a difference to them. My first pastor, we were going out uh, making contacts and I was the odd man out at that time. And so God just really moved me to go down to Bruce and Lara's house. A couple of weeks ago, I got a, I got a, I got a, a private message, of, a Facebook message from a kid named Derek. And he said, I, I want to send you a picture. He sent me a picture of a Bible. And it had my name signed in it. And it was a gift from me to his mom and his dad. And he said, Pastor Dean, could you, could you tell me what went on? And I said, I'll be glad to. One night I was going out and God so moved my heart and said, go down to the trailer park and visit Bruce and Lara. And I got out 
to the, to the trailer there and I walked up and as I drew my hand back to knock on the door, the door swung open and there was Lyra. She was shocked and I was shocked and we just stood there for a moment. I said, well, hey, Lyra, I just, y'all visited the church a couple of weeks ago. I want to come by and check in on you. Her face turned red and awkwardly she said, yeah, pastor, you can come in. Bruce was standing behind her. So we, I walked in the trailer. We went over and sat in the little living room there, coffee table between us. They had the little boy, Derek, on her lap. I sat in the chair and I began to talk with them about Jesus Christ and I shared the gospel story with them. I'll never forget that they knelt down by their coffee table Amen. on one side and I knelt down on the other side and we prayed together and they opened their heart and asked Jesus Christ into their life. When it was over with, they just embraced each other, Brother Sam. I mean, you, you, you've seen different emotions. Some people are dry as can be. Well, thank you, preacher. Not an ounce of emotion, but they're saved. I mean, some people are Pentecostal and they're saved too. I mean, it's just, so they're, they just immediately grab each other and they're holding on to each other and they're weeping. And I, I'm really feeling awkward at this moment. So I just sat up in the chair and, and watched the Hallmark movie going on there, you know. I said, son, this is, a, this is gonna be an illustration one day. These people are glad they're saved. And I was just sort of like, well, thank God. I'm glad y'all got saved. I, praise the Lord. She said, you don't have any idea. I said, son, your mother told me that every belonging and piece of clothes that you had and she had were in the trunk. That when she opened the door, she was leaving Bruce behind. And I said, that night your mom and dad got saved, became members of our church and we baptized them and they're both in heaven now. I'm just going to tell you, the reality of the matter is that's not a really a unique story. It's everywhere. Bob Hughes used to say, you can't take the gospel to the wrong address. I mean, everywhere we go, they're there. I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Second thing I want you to notice is the compassion of the Lord. Now, here's the thing that, 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 that strikes me with this, and that is that it was the compassion of Jesus that made him seek the man in the beginning, he didn't wait for the man to come to him. May God deliver us from y'all come churches. Brother Hart talked this morning about, about our heritage. Listen to me, our heritage was get up and go. That's what we were. We were a people that won souls and carried a pocket full of tracks and went out to the highways and hedges and compelled them to come in. But now we've got church growth seminars instead of soul winning clinics. We got to get back to training our people how to win people to Jesus Christ. That's, that's where we started. We started door knocking in our community um, 18 years ago. A UPS truck pulled up and asked two of my daughters and said, who are y'all? And what is your church? And they said, well, we're South Valley Baptist Church. It's a new church starting. He gave them a $20 bill and said, give this to your daddy and tell him this. I've been driving a UPS truck here for 20 years and I've never seen anybody on the street except the Mormons. 
That's our hallmark. No, 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 that's who we are. That's who we are. I'll tell you one thing, I'll tell you one thing that I haven't found in a place that is absolutely loaded from one end to the other with contemporary theology. I don't meet any of them on the street. No, 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 they, they've, got their, they've got their entertainment. They've got a y'all come draw. And they're bringing people in. And a lot of them have reformed theology. And they don't think there's any real need in it. But the reality of the matter is, that's who we are. As Baptist people, we are people that go out into the world and we win them. And, and, and that's what Jesus did. Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He sought him out of compassion. He, sailed him out, he, he saved him out of compassion. We can't do the saving, but we're supposed to do the seeking. He said in John 20, verse 21, Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jude, verse 22, And of some have compassion, making a difference. And I wonder when the last time is that we were moved with compassion for people. When was the last time uh, that, that, that we have shown compassion enough to care for their soul. Have you ever led somebody to Christ? Amen. Have you ever tried? Brother Brent said, great testimony, Brother Brent. Uh, we tried. Did you hear him? We've tried. You can't save anybody. Listen to me. When I'm talking about soul winning, I'm not talking about some arrogant garbage where you pull out your New Testament and get somebody to nod their head. You're nodding there. You're, they're nodding. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff where you put a notch in your two testament. I'm talking about sharing the gospel that is life changing with people. When you do that, you don't need all your psychology. You don't, you listen, listen, you don't, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to use all the, the uh, influence and the power of persuasion. No, no, if they know they're lost and they know he's saved, that's between them and him. That's not our job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit of God. Our job's just to sow the seed. And you notice, remember the sower? He was just indiscriminate. Uh, he didn't care. He was just slinging it everywhere. I mean, all over the place. Everywhere he went, he was sowing the seed. Because you know what? We don't really know where it's going to take root and what the results are going to be. I mean, this place looks really good. It doesn't bring a thing. This place doesn't look very profitable or hopeful. And all of a sudden, things begin to spring up. That's up to God. God knows how to deal with that. There's not a shortage of harvest. There's a shortage of laborers. Matthew chapter 9. Would you go there? Quickly, Matthew chapter number 9. Talking about Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes... Somebody said, eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. We ought to pray that God will help us see what he sees. When he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The guys, I want to tell you, we can't live with our heads buried securely in the sand of yesterday. Our culture has changed. 
And it changed drastically. It changed drastically in, in 2020. And, and, and I, I look, look, we, this is a weird world. Just a weird world. I mean, the, the, Brother Sam dealt with it. It's unbelievable that we are where we are. And again, I, I appreciate what he said. We saw it coming, but it's here. It ain't coming. It's done arrived. And, 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 and it's, it's, a, it's a sick culture. And I'm not suggesting that we compromise the church to appease the culture. I'm just saying this is our culture to reach. We can't, we can't reach, we can't reach the, the generations done gone. It's the one before us. And, and if we don't, they'll go to hell all because we couldn't get past the piercings and the tats and all the other things. And God can miraculously change a life, but he's looking for people that believe that the life can be changed by his power. If there was ever an unlikely candidate for grace, it was the Apostle Paul. I'm teaching through the book of Acts. Uh, back at South Valley, I mean, I'm, I, that's a great, my word, what a book. I mean, it's just good everywhere. Everything in this book is good everywhere. But I love Acts. I love Acts. I like it, I like it when, when Saul of Tarsus, who was a terrorist, and he really was, today he, he's a terrorist. When he got saved, you know what the church said? Uh, we, we, don't give him a visitor's card. We, we, you know what? <laughs> I mean, we appreciate, we appreciate what we've heard, but we'd rather not find out. We don't believe it. We don't believe it. So God goes and he talks to Ananias and he says, Ananias, Saul of Tarsus is down the road. He's blind. I want you to go talk to him. And Ananias said, Lord, that's my bad ear. Uh, it's almost like he's saying, have you heard? God, have you heard of Saul of Tarsus? I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And God, there's a, there's, a bit of a, there's a bit of a conversation back and forth, and God said, you go. And I can't read it without weeping. That he walks across the room to a man that murdered people that he loved and was actually, had come, it had come to haul him to prison. And Ananias walks across the room and extends his hand and says, Brother Saul. And at that moment, the scales fell from his eyes. I'm going to tell you, look at me. You can, you, we, we can look to God, but God's looking at you. God's looking at me. There's a division of labor in the Bible. I can't do what God can do. God won't do what I can do. His division. So, 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 so God, God, there's some things that God could do. God could save Saul. He could arrest him on the Damascus road, but it was the human touch that reached into his life that brought the scales from his eyes. And in Romans chapter 16, he gives a long list of people. You know who those people are? They're just people that came into his life that, that gave him a human touch that helped bring him from Saul to Paul. And don't we thank God that they did? When Jesus sent his followers, uh, 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 John uh, sent his followers to ask Jesus, art thou he that should come or look we for another? You know what the answer was? He said, go tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor to the poor the gospel is preached. 
Look, look at that list. Blind, lame, lepers, deaf, dead, poor. I mean, is that what you're going to write down? That's what you want to start your church with? No, no. And the modern day church gurus will tell you that's not how you can build a church. You got you to gotta reach into the upper echelon and the doctors and the lawyers and the CEOs and all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm just here to tell you, listen to me. If, if you're planning on starting your church and you're going to have all the wealthy in the community and all the, all the famous and all those types, can I tell you this? You're not going to have the kind of church Jesus had. You're not going to have that kind of church. The mayor of our town goes to our church, him and his wife. You know why he came? Because July the 4th, four years ago, I led his mother-in-law, 97 years old, to Jesus Christ. They came to our church and, boy, God got a hold of their hearts. What a blessing. But, 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 but you know what? We haven't changed a single thing to get him there. Man alive, if he can't come, if he can't come to, if he can't come to church with, with, with snotty-nosed kids and kids running around, we meet in the gymnasium. We had a bus kid that came in and said, dude, we go to church in a gym. I, Son, it's a draw in the bus ministry. That's awesome. I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm just telling you that, 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 um, if we're going to have the ministry, the, the type that Jesus had, we got to reach everybody. What about these churches that are forsaking the elderly and, and having a youth, a youth what? A youth movement? What are you talking about? It's not a New Testament church. What do you do? You sling seed everywhere. Every age, every group, both sides of the track. Doesn't matter what the color is. You just get the seed out and God Almighty brings them in. The Pharisees, chapter 15 of Luke, there drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners <laughs> for to hear him. wonder why they came. they came. They came because acceptance is the best atmosphere for change. And we have to remember that acceptance and approval are not the same. Jesus accepts me as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. But he doesn't leave me there. Over the years of my life, he's been changing me. That's sanctification. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Boy, the Pharisees are still alive today, aren't they? In fact, if you keep reading, you keep reading here in John chapter 15, Jesus is going to get criticized. Finish that chapter up tonight because, boy, the, 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 the pecking crowd is there criticizing him. And listen, if you, if you build your ministry on soul winning and you go out and, and just care for people and love them wherever they're at, wherever they are, whether they can put something in the offering plate or not, we've stopped reaching people because of the bottom line. They're not paying anymore. One of the greatest joys of our church have been to see so many people saved out of the homeless ministry that never put a dime in our church. People with broken hearts and broken homes and, and, and you, you look into their scarred faces and, and, and their eyes are bloodshot from alcoholism. But behind all of that is the image of a God that loves them and gave his son on the cross for them. This man receiveth sinners. That word receiveth doesn't mean he, he greeted them with an awkward handshake. 
and a pat on the back as he moved them right on through. You know what that word means? It means he waded in amongst them. It means he embraced them. It means that he loved them. It means that he received them and accepted them and cared for them. And that's the only way you'll ever change your life is by being willing to identify. Last of all, let me say this. I want you to notice the casualness of the indifferent. The casualness. Think of this man. How many people saw him in his dilemma and year after year for 38 years did absolutely nothing to help him. I mean, it wasn't their problem. They had good health. They, uh, it wasn't their burden. They, they didn't even have to go to the pool, but they passed by and they could look down at all these people and, and they just didn't care about them. They were busy, too busy on their way, wrapped up in life. And all over America today, people are playing church while the world goes to hell. Let me tell you what's been redefined. What's been redefined is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You've got every cockamamie group in the world claiming to be followers of Jesus. Well, how, where do you go to church? Well, I, I, I don't, I'm, just a, I'm just a Jesus follower. Really? He must be on a different path these years. I don't know. Everybody's claiming to be a Jesus follower. Let me give you what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Hey, if you follow me, let me tell you where I'm going to lead you. I'm going to lead you to being a fisher of men. You'll be a soul winner. You'll, you'll, you'll touch people for my, my glory and, and with my grace. That's how I'm going to lead you. Look, we, we got to get honest with ourselves. We got, we got, to, we got to come honest. If you play on the church softball team, but you won't go soul winning, you're not a Jesus follower. I've had people, you know, they, they press, preacher, we need a softball team. Okay. Well, as soon as our soul winning gets up, we'll do that. I mean, I mean, if everybody on our softball team was soul winners, we, we probably wouldn't be embarrassed the way they acted in front of the city. Okay. That didn't go over well. We'll move quickly. That was, that was not a good point because it nailed half the pastors in here. But anyhow, they're normally the ones that don't act too good at softball games. If your church is putting more energy in your sporting goods uh, department and, and, the, and the teams you have and the intramural basketball and all that, then you are in winning people to Jesus Christ. You're not following Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Just because you teach a Sunday school class doesn't mean you're a, you're a, you're a Jesus follower if you're, not, if you're not winning souls. You can work, work in church security or sing in the choir or teach in the college. You can give to missions. You can pastor a church. But if you're not winning souls, if you're not giving the gospel out, you're not a Jesus follower. And sometimes we don't have the opportunity to sit down with them, but, but, but there's tracks right out there. Grab a track, just, just put the word, just put the word, just sow the seed. Sometimes we don't see the fruition of it, but we ought to be doing it everywhere we go, every opportunity that we have. Listen, just because you're here as a church planner doesn't mean you're going to be a Jesus follower. 
And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're not winning souls now, you won't just because you change locations. And if you build a church by the grace of God, he builds it through you any other way than by reaching souls for Jesus Christ, then all you're doing is setting up a shop to, to draw in the disgruntled from other people's churches and it does not work. No, I, we've got transfers in our church that are some of the best people I know. I'll tell you the joy in my heart and the joy in my life is every Sunday I go home and I thank God for the people that are there that were not reached when we came 18 years ago, but we brought the gospel to them and they got born again. Soul winning, soul winning. God help us to get back to old fashioned Bible soul winning. Door to door, it still works. I, listen to me, I don't care who says what. I don't care who says what, it works. Why is it working where I'm at? We're not even a church area. Why is it working there and it's not working anywhere else? It works door to door, that's Bible. Don't let anybody ever talk you out of the Bible. April 19th, 1995, began like any other day in the heartland of America. People grabbed a quick breakfast and kissed their loved ones goodbye and headed out to work. And throughout the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City, office meetings were in session. You can go to the memorial and actually hear the recording of the office meetings that are suddenly disrupted. People busied themselves as they began to tackle the duties of the day. On the second floor, children laughed and played in the daycare. But at 9.02 that morning, the normalness of that day would be shattered by a blast that destroyed one-third of the Murrah building, claimed 168 lives, including 19 children under the age of six, injured more than 680 people, destroyed or damaged 324 buildings within a 16-block radius, and destroyed or burned 86 cars. The blast was heard 55 miles away. It was the most destructive act of terrorism on American soil prior to the September 11th, 2001 attacks. Can I say this? Take the liberty preacher, I hope you don't mind, but every Heartland student ought to go to that memorial. You want to you find out what Oklahoma's all about? We can have a lot of banner and a lot of fun between Oklahoma and Texas, but I'm going to tell you, these are bedrock people that live here. You go there and you find out what Oklahoma City was really all about and how that in the great crisis of their life they came together. I stood there and I looked at twisted metal and concrete rubble and empty shoes and tattered briefcases and abandoned day planters and, and, and lonely stuffed animals. And I became deeply disturbed that a human heart could somehow hold such hatred as to do such a thing. And the media, the media screens, I wept as I watched them because they, they, they took us back to the shock and to the carnage. And I wept as I heard mothers screaming for their children, hoping that somehow from that scene of destruction, their child would appear. But they didn't. Lives were cut short and bodies were broken and hearts were shattered and families were scarred. And a city and a nation were shaken all because two men embraced hate. 
But I found something out there. I, I found that there was more to be seen in that place than just the tragic evidence of two men that were emissaries of hate literally swarming that scene of death. The people of Oklahoma would not allow hate to have the final word or leave the last impression. They came running, literally running down the streets. They ran down the streets with blankets to wrap the wounded. They made tourniquets of their shirts to stop the bleeding. They used their pickup trucks as ambulances to haul the broken to the hospital. They risked their own lives to save the lives of others. They held strangers in their arms. And through love, they took back the ground that hate had conquered. When that morning started, Priscilla Sailors was on the fifth floor working of the Murrah building that morning of the 19th. When the blast occurred, she fell from the fifth floor into the basement and was buried beneath mounds of debris. She lay there thinking she would die and would never see her family again. And in her mind, she just mulled over what her life had been like. After four and a half hours of literally being buried alive, she made this statement. Suddenly, someone took my hand and words cannot begin to express the comfort and peace I felt with this human touch. Now, there's somebody in your neighborhood, in your community, in the city you've been called to or the city that you're going back to. They just need a human touch. Brother Gaddis, would you come here for just a moment? If Brother Gaddis is God and there's somebody buried under the rubble, God's not going under the rubble. That's our job. There are people buried under all that hate. They're kids that don't know if they hate their daddy or they hate their mama. All they know is that they're ripped in half. Their home is changed and alcohol is scarred and ruined it. So our job, our job is to get down and we're, we're to crawl under the junk and the garbage and we're to reach down and I'm to have the hand of God on me and my hand reaches in and touches them. See, I'm crawling. Thank you, preacher. I, I'm just, I'm crawling you know where the coin was found? The coin in the parables that God gives there on the sheep and the, and the coin and the boy, the coin was found in the dirt. That's why she had to get her broom and sweep because the coin was in dirt and dung and she found the coin and it bore the image of the king. And those people underneath that, those people underneath there, He already died on the cross for their sins. They're just waiting on somebody to care for their soul and to touch them when the waters are stirred. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that? Stand to our feet. God help us. I don't know their name. I don't know their face. But you do. Oh God, help us to bring the gospel to the world. Help us to care 
Help us to lift. Help us to touch for your honor and your glory. Do your work. Lord, get us back to this matter of sharing the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and being just burdened about souls. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.